This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome everyone and welcome Christine back to another exciting edition of Post Level 3, Level 4, Level 3 and now uh, Delta Level 2. Um, wireless Books brought to you from the lovely studios that are Otago Access Radio and from the institute that is the oh what is it? The Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, a lending library. Hello, Beth. Um, oh, my mic keeps falling down. I'm, I'm going to be sort of following my mic around a bit weird. <laughs> so, yes, um, have you got any good COVID stories to tell us? None. Well, actually, I've got a bit of a one. One of my friends, she went on the day that we went down to level three. I'd been texting her and stuff, and she kept saying, Oh, I haven't heard from my boss. I haven't heard from my boss. And when we went down to level three, she did hear from her boss, and he said, where are you? And so he made her come into the office, and and everybody was there, and nobody was wearing masks, and she felt deeply uncomfortable. And so she um, she quit. She should not have quit, because I believe from what you're describing, that that employer was not following um, government guidelines. Definitely not. But anyway, she had been unhappy on and off for about a year, and so I think that was just oh, the, well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Good, and she just thought, she just thought I cannot be bothered dobbing him in and oh, going through all yes. that yeah. all that palaver. Yeah. And so she, they came to a mutual agreement that she didn't have to um, work out her. Well. As you know, I myself work in an office and uh, because there's so many of us and with these new stringent rules, two metres apart and elevators and blah, 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 blah. No, what about that, elevators? Well, um... Only allowed four, four people max? Or no. One person? No. Yes, it, it, it would be to do the two metre mm. rule so I tell you I would have been starting work at morning <coughs> tea time by the time I waited my turn <laughs> and let everyone else go up the stairwell which is what I should be doing anyway but that's another story you know um, so we are well there's a few people who have elected to go into the office because you know some people do find it very hard especially mm. if if you live on your own or if you've got children <laughs> You know, the two extremes. Yeah. Um, so some people have gone in, but very few. It's a bit like Goldilocks, isn't it? Either the porridge is too hot, hot or, or it's too, too cold. cold. Yeah, and the rest of us are continuing to work from home during this level two. And oddly enough, too, when I am phoning clients who are vulnerable anyway, a lot of them are saying, you know, terrible thing to say, but um, I'm healthy and, you know, I don't have COVID, but I'm enjoying this lockdown because my family are around me. Mm, and that's and nice. That is a lovely, that is lovely, is it? And they're right, it is a 
terrible thing to say because I mean, not meant to. I mean, it's dreadful mm. in in Auckland, but I mean, we were in lockdown last year. We all knew what it was like. I mean, it was very anxiety um, anxiety ridden the first time round. Strangely yeah. enough, the first lockdown wasn't like that for me at all because. I'd been going through such a trauma um, trying to find a house to buy and we, I don't know if I told the listeners this, but I actually signed a contract for a house um, about two hours before we went into lockdown. I think it was probably the last house sold in Dunedin before lockdown. And, And we actually... We hit this little sweet spot because everybody panicked. The house I ended up buying was supposed to go to auction and we were the only people who signed up for the auction. So they had to, it didn't go to auction, they had to negotiate with us directly and um, we got it for significantly less than um, what the, what's the the word when they go open into the market on the auction? So the reserve. The reserve, yeah. Yeah, Really. Oh well, silver lining. Exactly. So I'm one of the the few people who has a happy housing story to tell about COVID. I'm, I'm very sorry, but very happy. <laughs> so anyway, this this time I found it a lot harder because I live alone now, and yeah. Well, there you go. And yeah. I sort of thought, oh, I'll do all this and I'll do that, but really, all I did was I made a heck of a lot of masks, and which was very productive and sensible of me, because after the last when we came into level two last time I went down to Spotlight and I brought all this fabric and I made one mask (laughs) (laughs) and hardly ever used it and now I now I have seven masks and I've got another one just waiting for elastic oh well my eldest daughter makes masks but uh, oddly enough I couldn't find one of them coming out so I've we already had a supply of the mm. disposable masks. Um, but she doesn't put the elastic on it. She says that people's ears and all that are different sizes. So just do her own. But um, I, look, I'm a super glue your hem up girl. <laughs> so I just got some um, decorative, you know, ribbon that you put oh, around yes. parcels and just made two oh, loopholes lovely. with that. Oh, look, you know. Well... I had some disposable um, masks that I had been given and I actually um, cut out the nose grip thing and the elastic and reused that when I was making my mask. Oh, good idea. And then I, so I sort of kept going and then I found um, this, you know how the sort of the plastic ties that you um, you buy an appliance like a new television yes, and such? yeah. And all the wires are wrapped around mm-hmm. to hide um all the cables are tied yeah. up with these little um, plastic mm. things. They're perfect for the nose grips. And I bought a pair of gumboots last year, and they were t- had an elastic tying them together, which is a very long elastic. Mm. So I, I made about four. I used that to make at least four masks. I tell you. I tell you. I was a spirit of the blitz. I'm going to call you Barbara, because it's just like in the good life. You are marvellous. Well, not really. You but <laughs> recycle, upcycle. Look, everything's got a use. Well, I and I made them with the cotton that I inherited from my grandmother. Oh, look, <laughs> old. It's, it's like you're getting married. Something old. Something <laughs> right, um, I don't want to be rude or anything, but uh, I've been starved of of books. Have you starving of them? Well, I've got two books. I'll take it. <laughs> that I think you might like. The first one is The Girl Who Died, and it's by Ragnar Johansson. And he is 
Well, according to the Times, he's the best crime writer in the world today, and he's a Scandi author. Well, it's going to be bloodthirsty. And um, we've got one other book by him in the library called The Mist, and people have taken it out and come back and said, oh, that was really good. So so I grabbed this because I thought, oh, well, I'd better start buying him. And it's it's kind of almost a creepy ghost story slash um, murder mystery. This woman, she's struggling... She's like the typical um, young 30-something and she's got a job working as a teacher but it doesn't quite give her enough money to, so she can scrape enough for the rent in a lousy apartment but she can't scrape enough to get a deposit to buy a house or anything, you know, just the typical. Mm, and yeah. she she sees this advert to go to this um, island which is sort of in the depths of nowhere and um, teach school there and and she thinks, well, this if I go there, there's nothing for to spend my money on, and I can, and I get, and they also part of the inducement is she get, she got a um, subsidised house or living accommodation. So she goes to this place, and she's living in um, some in an attic space that's been converted into a kind of a flat, and she starts to hear. She's not sure if she hears it or it's part of her dreams. I'm a child singing uh, a song sort of is familiar but not quite and then the, she's I think she's got two children to teach and um, then one of them um, is killed oh stop yes. there no more spoilers thank you well that's about all I, I can <laughs> give you that's that is what was the hypnosis on the back was that was that <laughs> no, I have read the first this is how I know how <laughs> bad living circumstances. And as for um, being on a remote island or on an island, so you know she can't really spend her money. I, as you have, as the country have, have been in lockdown for at least one week, and you would have no idea how much online shopping I have done because it's Christmas coming up. I think I shop more during lockdown than I have the. Entire year. I did do a bit of internet shopping the first lockdown. This time I've done none because I actually, I just don't like it. I like to be able to go and feel things and poke them and decide, oh, yes, I like like the look of that or I don't like the look of that. And just looking at something... Oh. It just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I'm buying toys, you know, mm. the children's birthday and Christmas presents and for well, the new baby, not I'm going to make you sick. I actually bought my Christmas presents, the book of my Christmas presents um, before we went to lockdown. Oh, well, I've bought most of mine mm. before then. This is just don't you, anything you can do, I can do better, <laughs> Christy. We're not going to start this malarkey. I mean, I only have about 45 people to buy for. I see. I I have very few people to buy for. Oh, there we are. <laughs> but I have girlfriends, and they're probably the hardest to buy for. And I, well, I especially that Katrina. <laughs> yes, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've don't you worry. I've I've got her sorted. So oh, so when someone she, should have. <laughs> so when she tells you, oh my goodness, you should see what Christine got me this year. <laughs> I say she put a lot of thought into that. She bought it in April. <laughs> <laughs> now this is anyway, by, carry on. Sorry. <clears throat> An author, and this is his second book. If it's, I think it's. A, I'm assuming it's a male, Alex. So it could be either one. Mm. And um, he's oh, Michael Edies. Mm, I think it's sort of a Greek name, isn't it? Mm. And he wrote the Silent Patient, which was very popular, and it was about a psychologist. This one is not about the same person. It's he's moved on, 
and he set it around the world of Cambridge and um, there's a college called St. Christopher's. And there's the our hero, Miranda Andros, she's a group therapist in London and she's struggling through her private group because her husband um, has has died. Um, he sort of unexpectedly died mm-hmm. and um, she's just really bereft. Meanwhile, her, her niece is studying at St. Christopher's in Cambridge and her the niece's best friend has, is murdered and oh. yes and the tutor in in the college Moran Miranda sort of decides she sort of fixates on this man and decides that he's the person that's doing the killings and she starts to to poke around and she's trying to trying to find evidence evidence against this against this man and of course once she starts stirring things up she really stirs things up and then she is placed in danger. And I don't think you'll guess who oh. who done it or who, oh, who set this all up. And the lovely thing is, as well as it sounding like a great book, um, is that being set in Cambridge, I can just imagine all the beautiful um, scenery that's going to be described. Mm, have you been building. to Cambridge? No. Well, I have. I well, no. I've been to Oxford mm. through Endeavour and Lewis <laughs> and Morse. Um, but oh, was Endeavour in Cambridge? No. I, no. No. All right. Well, yes, that's where I've been. So, uh, trip to London didn't quite take it as far as to the did, suburbs. Did but. you ever see the movie? I think it was called Shadowlands and it had Anthony Hopkins and he was playing C.S. Yes, Lewis and yes. that was set in Cambridge ah, and well, a very beautiful. Rewatch it again. But that's the lovely thing. Um, yeah, I know that there'd be, you know, mm. the author will be describing, you know, the geographic um, elements of, of Cambridge. You know what I'm talking about. The bridges and the rivers and the horses and Oh, yes. the colleges and yes, yeah, so that'll be lovely. Oh no, very, very good. Two out of two. Now the rest probably won't be to your taste. Marina Luchinka, who is famous for um, it's very comp- a short history of tractors in Ukraine, and she's a humor. She writes humorous things, um, and this is about. A elderly man, George, who he walked out on his his wife, who's been married to for about fifty years, on referendum night, and um, when Brexit happened, because he voted for Brexit, and his wife Rosie didn't, I think, and so he's he's walked out and moved next door with the hairdresser who lives next door. door is nicknamed Brexit Brenda. So, <laughs> so then he gets a message telling him he's won millions in. In a lottery, but he only vaguely remembers entering the lottery. It's a foreign lottery, and then, um, he, but he's forgotten his password and he can't get at his money. Oh God! I tell you that I can relate. Not that I've won, hmm. you know, millions, and but it's the whole password thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, oh. But it's a problem because he suddenly has to contend with lots of forceful new friends, desperate to know his mother's maiden name. (laughs) And then things quickly got out of hand, and he must make a mad dash from Sheffield to the Adriatic and into the arms of organised crime gangs who specialise in illegal kidney transplants and heroin smuggling. So he's in need of rescue and from this pickle and from himself. 
And will his son, Sensible Sid, Brenda and Rosie put, put aside their differences long enough to help? And might the journey bring this dysfunctional family back together? Oh, I'm sure it will. Yes. So, yes, those people kind of love her writing. She just sort of writes these absurd, absurdist um, stories. But, yeah, we can all relate to this forgetting your password. And oh, and then people yeah. are sort of, you know, oh, what's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> <laughs> just, just out of idle curiosity. <laughs> just in passing. Now, this is the next one, or the final one, is by Lionel Shriver, and most famous for um, We Need to Talk About Kevin. And this Mm -hmm. is Should We Stay or Should We Go? And it's about a couple, when we meet them, they're in their early um, 50s. And Kay Williamson, who, Wilkinson at least, who is a nurse, for the last 10 years, she's been helping look after her father who had dementia. And a not particularly nice form of dementia. He was, um, he not only forgot who his wife was, he'd been married briefly. He was quite an elderly man. He died in his 90s. And he was, he'd had an early marriage um, during the First World War. He'd been married to this woman for two years and then she died in the influenza thing. And then after a while, he married his second wife and had a happy life and had children. But then when he hit, the dementia hit him, he totally forgot about his second marriage. So he thought his second wife was an imposter and so had done something to his first wife. Who he, he kept mourning and crying out for his first wife, although she'd been dead. And it was just, and he was violent and it just everything horrible about having a dementia person. And so she's had this 10 years of this horror with this, her father and She's, when he dies, she just is so emotionally distraught and so worn out. She can't mourn him. She can't even bring herself to cry for him. And she, she's so wiped out. She can't even, she doesn't even feel any relief. And she's, all she's got to look forward to is her mother, who was younger than her husband, but is starting to show signs of dementia herself. And, um, and meanwhile, her husband is, um, let's see. Cyril, he's a GP, and so he's he's spent you know a professional life dealing with dementia patients. So he knows what it's like, and so he says to her, "Well, why don't we make a pact? When we turn eighty, or when she's like eighteen months like younger than when you turn eighty, we'll 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 top ourselves, and we'll just we'll we should be still in reasonable nick, but it's all downhill from there." And she sort of says, "Oh well." I'll think about it. And then a week later, she says, okay, I think this, I think that's probably the thing to do. Now, they've made this pact in their 50s, so mid-50s. So when when the date comes, and, the, and her birthday is actually um, 2020, it's what what's going to happen. And so Lionel, I've read that first chapter, and it is quite good. And then Lionel Shriver then does the preceding chapters after that, are all various um, scenarios of what happens. Say they both commit suicide or what, say, one of them. Well, it's kind of an interesting premise. And Or do they change their mind and keep living? And then if they keep living, what happens? And, uh, you know, are they lucky? Because because one of them, Cyril's father is actually in his 90s and he's in very good health, but his mother died on, in her 80s. So each chapter is a different scenario. And, um, yeah, it's one of those interesting books. Oh, well, I've just read the last page. 
Yes, but that's only one one reality. It's not. Oh, oh. oh too much for you, is it? Oh, it's so frustrating. I just... <laughs> Carry on. Now, this. let's see. On Tuesday in the 100 Years Ago column, there was a thing. I had a picture of Miss... Mrs. Edgar Lansbury, councillor of the London Borough of Poplar, and oh, call the midwife. Oh, yes, it, <laughs> is. <laughs> it is on the it is on the west end, and it actually has been renamed the bor- the borough of Tower Hamlets. So oh. it sounds a bit more classy. Um. But this, I thought, oh, I'd never heard about this, and I went and googled this woman, and it just brought a whole raft of and so I'm gonna start with her father in law, George Lansbury, who was born in eighteen fifty nine. And he when he was a he married young and he had a few children. He ended up having twelve children but when he'd only just had a few children. He was persuaded by um an immigration agent that the Australia was the land of milk and honey and there were jobs aplenty. So he and his wife they they got on a sailing ship and sailed to Australia and they had a terrible voyage over and when they got there they found that things weren't like that and there was hardly any jobs and he he kept trying he he would um he like he got a job working for the um Melbourne cricket ground because he because he liked cricket but or the or the Sydney cricket cricket ground as a you know a groundsman because he thought that it would be nice to be able to watch cricket but then he found that that, that wasn't for the the labourers <laughs> And he got a he got a job in a in a farm. And when he got there, he found the living conditions were not what the farmer had said. And he, so he kept getting disappointed. And he kept writing back to his friends in London and saying, "Well, you know, Australia is is not as great as they're making out." And eventually, um, some of them got together and sent him money. And he he returned, he returned to London. And that's when he um had his son Edgar. So anyway, that experience kind of rad- radicalized him, and he he became a liberal. But he found that he was really the liberals were were too conservative for him really, and he was a great believer in women's suffrage, and he kept working towards um, women's suffrage, and the Liberal Party wasn't interested in it. And he was actually working as an electoral agent, which was helping candidates win, and he was very good at it. And so he decided. There was an election coming up, and he was the electoral agent for the Liberal candidate. And he, but he was out just disenchanted with the Liberals, and he decided he was going to leave them. But, and as a matter of um, good faith, he waited until the he'd got his candidate elected, and then he resigned. So he sort of resigned on election day, and then he moved, he moved on to a socialist um, party, which never really went anywhere. And then he ended up going to Labour, and he was actually elected to Parliament. Um, about 1906 or whatever and this was a parliament that Liberals had formed a government they had the support of the Labour Party and the Labour Party had about 30 seats and really should have had quite a a big say in policy but they were, were timid and he felt that they should have used their position to force the Liberals to give women the vote, but they wouldn't, and he was he was disgusted. Um, this was you know when Mrs. Pankhurst was mm. you know all the violent suffragettes and stuff, <laughs> and he actually at the same time was an electoral officer. Um, when he went to be re-elected for Parliament, the Conservatives running against him said um, had they won on a slogan of no petticoat government. 
Oh, yes, I know that. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, he and he was unhappy with the Labour's lack of spine. So, anyway, he sort of concentrated on the borough of Poplar, and he was the mayor, and the, it was a very poor borough, and they had an unf- they had to raise from their um, their base. They had to raise some money for the poor poor houses, and they also had to pay a share for the London City Council, the Metropolitan's Police, the Metropolitan Asylums Board, and the Metropolitan Water Board. And so they ended up really per capita paying a much greater share of it. And so they just they decided that they didn't want to do this, and they refused to pay for the, those four institutions. Meanwhile, they were running a policy of, of jobs, and they also had um, equal pay for women. Pretty amazing. So the government responded by putting 30 councillors into um, prison. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was... If you can't shut them up, lock them up. Yeah, and and that included six women, one of whom was pregnant. And there were actually three groups of married couples in, in the council, including his son Edgar and his wife Minnie, who was the woman that was in the 100 years ago. Now, the woman was sent to Holloway, which was slightly better conditions, but many, um, the damp conditions, she ended up getting pneumonia and dying the mm. next in, yeah, 19, 1922. So they, they, pay, they paid a high price. And we're just about out of time, and I think I'm going to come back to the Lansbury's because they really are a fascinating story. And what happens next is just going to, um, it's going to blow your socks off. Well, so, I can't wait time, for my socks to be blowing yes, off. Yes, in two weeks' time you're going to find out. Oh, I can hardly wait. <laughs> Until then, everyone, isn't it wonderful the libraries are mm. open again? And on that note, happy, happy reading. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum Library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.